This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Samson, who's kind of the poster boy in terms of being lured in all the wrong ways. And we continue that story today by looking into the 15th chapter of the book of Judges. Now, Samson, if you remember, is a leader in Israel, and uh, he's someone that... um, just kind of does whatever he wants to do to please himself. And because of that, he jumped into a marriage just very quickly. Uh, He got into some kind of a betting contest. He killed off 30 guys to pay off his bets. And the story and the saga of this downward spiral of what happens when we're lured into uh, the stuff and the culture, the way this world does things, the worse off things get. And today, in particular, we're looking at the way in which we're lured to keep score and to even the score against those who do things wrong to us. I'm going to be reading from the message, which is different from the translation that's in the front of your Pray, Study, Grow material. You can follow along whichever way you like. So we pick up the story in chapter 15, verse 1. Later on, it was during the wheat harvest, Samson visited his bride, bringing a young goat. He said, let me see my wife, show me her bedroom. Now remember, he, he left his wife at the altar and basically gave her off to the best man and uh, was in a tizzy about her because she had told his riddle to these local guys, and so he thinks he can just make amends by bringing her a young goat. If your lover's jilted, you might do something better than a young goat. But her father wouldn't let him in. Fathers owned women, girls, as property in those days. He said, I concluded that by now you hated her with a passion, so I gave her to your best man, but her little sister is even more beautiful. Why not take her instead? And Samson said, that does it. This time when I wreak havoc on the Philistines, I'm blameless. It's kind, of, it's kind of Samson's way of saying, you know, I might have been a little bit wrong by killing off those 30 guys, but this time, boy, what I'm about to do, I'm totally justified in what, what I'm doing. And Samson then went out and caught 300 jackals, 300 foxes, we would say, He lashed the jackal's tails together in pairs, tied a torch between each pair of tails. He then set fire to the torches and let them loose in the Philistines' field of ripe grain. Everything burned, both stacked and standing grain, vineyards and olive orchards, everything. Now, did you notice we said in verse 1 that this was the beginning of the wheat harvest? How would you like to work for six months, not be paid anything, And now as your produce is about to come in, someone comes in and destroys completely your crops. How would that make you feel? This is how the Philistines felt about it. The Philistines then said, who did this? They were told, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, who took his bride and gave her to his best man. The Philistines went up and burned both her and her father to death. Samson then said, if this is the way you're going to act, I swear I'll get even with you. And I'm not quitting till the job's done. 
With that, he tore into them, ripping them limb to limb, a huge slaughter. Then he went down and stayed in a cave at Edom Rock. The Philistines set out and made camp in Judah, preparing to attack Lehi, which is known as Jawbone. When the men of Judah asked, why have you come up against us? They said, we're out to get Samson. We're going after Samson to do to him what he did to us. Do you see this continuous getting back, getting even, one-upping things? You know that old story, uh, the old law, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth? We misunderstand that. That wasn't given to perpetrate violence. That was trying to limit the kind of violence that was done. This one at you, one more, one better than yourself in the way in which we do and get back at each other. Well, three companies of men from Judah went down to the cave at Edom Rock and they said to Samson, don't you realize that the Philistines already bully and lord it over us? So what's going on with you making things even worse? And Samson said these classic words. It was tit for tat. I only did to them what they did to me. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The scripture gives us a pretty good indication and clarification in terms of what happens when we get caught up in those kind of attitudes and, and approaches. And we'd like to say, well, you know, that was way back then. Puh. Mercy. People are fleeing from the Sudan today, and we have this civil war in Syria. And how many foreigners did the Taliban kill in Afghanistan this week? And what about uh, the school violence that... Uh, we experience in this country? What, what about all those different things and those individual levels in which we get engaged in this tit-for-tat business of keeping score and evening the score? Uh, in Shady Hook Elementary School, there was uh, the shooting that occurred a year ago last Thanksgiving Christmas. And as they were reliving that annual marking of that event recently, I I heard the story of this young boy. Uh, we could have his picture on the screen. His name was Jesse Lewis. Jesse Lewis was one of the 20-year-old children that was killed in the Shady Hook tragedy. Kindergartner. And uh, just before his death, he wrote on the chalkboard in his family's kitchen these words nurturing heal and love that's the way he spelled it as a kindergartner might spell it wrote those words for whatever reason just a couple days before he died and a day or two after his death his mother found those words on the chalkboard in their kitchen and she took those words to heart and believing it was her child's message in a way that he could not have ever begun to understand it when he wrote those words, nurture and heal and love. And that's what we need in this world today. Um, how do we get there? What do, we, what do we do in becoming more like that rather than keeping score. You've been uh, given scorecards today and I'll, I'll invite you to pull them out and on the scorecards uh, we're kind of basing this idea on a message I heard from Adam Hamilton where he actually carried in this big backpack full of rocks 
And he had three different kinds of rocks that he was carrying. And in the rocks, uh, in the backpack, there were pebbles, small pebbles, there were medium-sized rocks, and there were some, a few really large rocks. And Adam carried around these 60 pounds on his back throughout his sermon to dramatize the point that when you and I are carrying this stuff, these hard things, these heavy things, in our spirit all the time, it's literally hard to breathe. And his congregation was very concerned about him as he continued to talk and talk, carrying around this 60-pound load on his back because it has an effect on you. I thought about doing that today, but you know what? I'm a lot older than Adam, and I've got a bad back. So we're not going to do that. We just transferred this into scorecards instead. But I'd like for you to get your scorecards out. I'd like for you to get your keeping scorecards. And let's think about pebbles, and let's think about rocks, and let's think about those boulders in our lives. And the pebbles... You know, those are just those little things. Those things that uh, kind of pile up, though, that if you don't address them. Uh, things that kind of get under our spirit. Uh, things that happen every day. And sometimes we can be so easily offended by pebbles. But if we don't address them or look at them, well, they just kind of build up. And then what about these uh, medium-sized rocks? Uh, maybe it's uh, a bold-faced lie someone tells you or some way that you're, you really got burned today. And it's serious enough to, yeah, it's very clear that uh, this, was a, this is a tough thing that happened. It bruised us. It hurt us. It wounded us. And then there's these huge boulders. Uh, Boulders that were those kind of life-shattering events that we didn't see coming. Might have been when we were abused as a child. Too many people really are. Um, might have been when we were uh, unfaithful or our spouse was unfaithful to us. Might have been when we got burned in a huge way in a business deal by a dishonest partner. There's different kinds and sizes of rocks that we can kind of carry around our spirit. And as we talk about them, I just hope that you'll put a pen to, to, to paper here and just name on your scorecard the incident or the person involved. This is just kind of for you. Just enough, just right enough where you kind of know uh, what that is. Now, if you don't have anything in your backpack, if you don't have anything in your spirit, if you don't carry around any rocks in your spirit, you know, if that's really true, I, I just want to say, praise God. You're a person who's a, a forgiving person. But, but beware that sometimes we mask things. And we don't pretend that they're there. Or we pretend that we're over and done with it. And yet, if we don't name it, naming it is kind of part of losing its, it loses its power over us. So it's important to name it. So if you don't have anything, praise God, but look again. Um, what do you do about the pebbles? How, how do you drop the pebbles in your life? You know, one of the things that I've found is to have a daily practice. It's very important at the beginning of the day or maybe at the end of the day to kind of have a check-in period with God. And I find it very helpful just to give God some time to speak into my spirit. And 
God will clearly identify things that are, have happened, if I'm sensitive enough to this, those pebbles, those things that I'm, I'm holding against somebody. And it's so much easier to just kind of dump those pebbles out on a daily basis rather than carry them around with us. Because after a while, even those little pebbles, they'll add up, won't they? And it'll begin to change and fester and, and harden our spirits and our hearts. But what do you do about the, the medium-sized rocks? What do you do about those things that really and truly, um, there were, were significant injuries that happened that you, you just can't ignore? You know, some people would, would say, well, um, you might confront the individual. And you know, the word confrontation simply means face-to-face. -face. It's not necessarily a bad thing to do. But, but to go to the person if, if the relationship's healthy enough. Or, you know, in the case of Samson, there were three companies of mediators that came to Samson and said, Samson, quit tearing up the Philistines. You're bringing us all down here. So, so sometimes it's helpful to have a mediator along. Sometimes certainly it's helpful to, to have some counseling or to have a trusted friend to talk with. But we, we have to find ways in which we address the reality of, yes, this was a bad thing, and yes, this was hurtful, this wounded me, and I'm having difficulty letting this one go. You know, ultimately, I think we really have to address the reality is that, that, that we have anger, and it's okay to get angry, but if we don't ever address the anger, we become an angry person. There's a difference there. It's kind of, like, uh, kind of like God. Some people say, uh, do you believe in an angry God? No, I don't believe in a God whose basic, one of his basic character traits is anger. If that's what you mean by the question, no. Do I believe that God gets angry? Absolutely. You see the difference between getting angry about something and being an angry person. Now to share with you some words of scripture that I think really expresses to us how God is and how God deals with those rocks in life and how we can emulate that. Let's look at Psalms 103. Look, look at these words. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. Talks about the reality of anger, doesn't it? He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repays us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. Now those words speak about a lot of the character traits of God. Yes, he gets angry at injustice. Yes, he gets angry over the things that are done, and we do. Does he always accuse? Does he always chide? Is he a forgiving God? Absolutely he is. It, it speaks to the type of life that you and I are also called to live. 
with those big rocks in our life? What about the boulders? What about those huge events? Uh, what about those awful, terrible things? Life-shattering things. Things that you just don't get over in a moment. Things that you just can't handle in a week or a month but may take years to resolve I certainly believe in the, in the importance of, of counseling, of professional counselors I certainly believe in the help of spiritual direction I certainly appreciate the work of Stephen ministers in this church who will work alongside and live alongside someone that's going through a deep wound and hurt and grief I certainly believe in the depths of listen, love, pray in being released through this and working through this. And ultimately, friends, I just really believe that the person that we have to take this to is Jesus. Um, Adam Hamilton had a really interesting observation in a sermon recently on this subject where, you know, we, we recognize that Jesus grew up in, as a carpenter's son, Joseph, and in Palestine, in Israel, uh, in, the, in the villages that Jesus grew up in, it was mainly made of stone and rock. You know, Jesus was born in a stable, most likely not a wooden stable, more like a cave. The houses that he lived in, or the houses that he may have helped form, were not most likely made of wood. They were most likely made of stone. So you think Jesus... Growing up as a boy for nearly 30 years in his life, he was a stonemason. So it's, it's like Jesus holds the tools. And I understand this is not a, a chisel in my hand, but it's the closest thing I could find this morning. But he, he, was, he was a craftsman. And we take to him, we bring to him the hard places. And I like to think that Jesus... As the master craftsman, the, the carpenter of our soul, can chisel away and form something good and beautiful about the awful events and circumstances in our lives. There's a, what do you do uh, when something terrible has been done to you? There's a story by a lady by the name of Victoria who was awarded uh, the most admired person by a website link, the faith link. Uh, and it's a story about the time when there were some teenagers that stole some credit cards. And they used those credit cards to buy things. And one of, the, one of those things that they bought was a bunch of frozen turkeys of all things. And they take these frozen turkeys in their car and one young boy, Ryan, he took that frozen turkey and he rolled down his window and he threw it at the car that was coming toward them. And it went through the windshield and it struck Victoria in the face. And it led to months and years of pain, about 10 months of reconstructive surgery after reconstructive surgery. And Ryan came up to the court day where he was going to get maybe 25 years maximum in prison for, for doing what he did. And Victoria instead 
spoke in court to Ryan and on Ryan's behalf. And uh, this is what she said to the judge and to the court. I truly hope that by demonstrating compassion and leniency, I have encouraged you to seek an honorable life. If my generosity will help you mature into a responsible, honest man whose graciousness is a source of pride to your loved ones and to your community, then I will be truly gratified and my suffering will not have been made in vain. Then she looked right at the young man who had done this to her. and She said, Ryan, prove me right. Prove me right. I love that story because it talks about forgiveness. It also talks about accountability and holding out the hope of restorative justice and the hope that someone might learn something. Not being punitive, but at the same time, offering this second chance. And Ryan's sentence was reduced to six months. Now, what he did with that, I don't know. And there are no guarantees that your forgiveness will change that person's life. But you can rest assured that a forgiving spirit will change yours. This is really the way of Jesus. You know, when I read the stories of Samson, when I read oftentimes the stories of the Old Testament, oftentimes I'm missing someone. Oh, he's there in the stories. He's there in all of life. But the person that I'm missing is Jesus. And I always kind of fast forward to some stories of Jesus. Or I fast forward into the scriptures and thinking, how would Jesus have handled this situation if he was Samson? And in Colossians chapter 1, 2, we read these words about what Jesus has done for us in Christ, in our own transgressions. That when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses. Erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Just a real quick review of those four things that Jesus did for us in the scripture we just read about. God has made us alive by forgiving us our trespasses, all our trespasses. We become alive spiritually based on what Jesus has done for us. He erases in God's great eraser chalkboard. He, he takes the word canceled, written in blood, over the sentence against us with its demands. He sets it aside, nails it to the cross. He disarms all the violence and all the cruelty and all the evil that can be done to a human being. Jesus suffers not simply the cruel death of a crucifixion. He suffers from the weight of the sins and the awfulness and the darkness of whatever evil can do for him. He carries it all and he triumphs over it completely through his mercy on a cross. He has said forever that mercy triumphs over justice, over judgment. It is his ultimate answer. It is, 
It is God's ultimate answer for the awful spiral of evil and violence and the tit-for-tat that we do in our relationships in this world. And either we believe this with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, or we put Jesus to an open shame and we crucify the Son of God afresh. So what say ye, my friends? What do you do with Jesus? That's really the ultimate answer. It's not, what do we do with the person that's hurt us? That's not our job. It's not excusing the action. It's not belittling it. It's, but what do you do when the violator is yourself? What do you do when you've done self-examination? What do you do when you can't forgive yourself? What do you do? Whatever it is that you carry in your heart and your spirit. One more story. There was a priest in the Philippines that had lived his life faithfully in ministry, and uh, he was much loved by the people in his parish. But for years he had been bothered about a sin that he had done when he was in his seminary years. And there was a woman in town who was known as someone that really walked close to Christ. In fact, she had visions with Jesus, and she had these conversations where she would hear from Jesus and the priest was rather suspect, uh, suspicious about this. And so he asked her to come in and see him one day. And she said to, he said to her, you know, I did a terrible thing once when I was in seminary. And this, this has hurt me all my life. I just can't get, get rid of this. So the next time you're speaking to Jesus, you know, I haven't told anybody about this. Just ask him what that sin was. Well, he did that as a way of testing her because he didn't really believe that she had that kind of intimate relationship with Jesus. And she said she would. But also he was kind of hopeful that maybe in some way through this woman he could be released from the guilt of what he'd been carrying. Well, weeks went by and then finally she came back to see him. And he asked her the question, did you talk to Jesus? And she said, yes. Well, did you... Ask him my question. And she said, well, yes, as a matter of fact, I did. And the priest was sweaty and nervous and asked, well, what did he say? What did he say? And the woman said, well, you know, uh, Jesus said, oh, you know, uh, yes. About that sin that your priest committed, you know, I just can't remember anymore what it was. And through that experience, the priest knew something about the mercy and the forgiveness, the great forgettingness of God. This morning, uh, you've been given your keeping scorecard, and maybe you've been scribbling along with it. Uh, I hope that you can pull it out now. And if you've written some words on there, incidents about what you've been carrying around with you, would, would you take that? And uh, in a moment after I pray, we're going to invite you to uh, come forward. And uh, this is our way of erasing things in our modern world is uh, 
you can just take your, your paper. And what are these things called? Shredders. Had a total senior moment. Shredders. Um, these shredders might get loud, maybe kind of chaotic. But if you've got something that you, you really don't want to carry, even if you're not ready to forgive someone, maybe the shredding part is your willingness to be made ready to forgive. But I really think it's God's answer. It's God's way to the violence and the keeping score of the way in which this world is operating. It's really the alternative. It's the only thing I know that can change us and change lives and change the world. Is rather than keeping score, receiving the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus and then sharing that with others by letting go of the things that we hold in our hearts against others. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to, uh, rather than keep score, to let go of those things that uh, trouble our spirits, those, those rocks that we've been carrying around all too long. We thank you, Jesus, that you are the master carpenter that chisels away and fashions something beautiful even out of hard places. We pray that you would do the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit in our midst this morning as we bring our scorecards to you and shred them away. In Jesus' name, amen.